hello is this is this the uh 10 minute late uh call uh, 11 but i'm not really counting oh, 11 now it was 10 minutes when I started <laughs> that's that you are counting and that's not fair <laughs> well you know it's um at, at least uh, at least you're not early <laughs> at least it's true at least i'm not early I don't know. <laughs> well, i i had uh, i had I had an impromptu guest appearance yesterday, um, and they called me uh, like an hour before I thought they were going to call me so on, on, on another podcast. So that was exciting. That is exciting. When you you texted me this morning at nine, uh, to the <laughs> yes. effect of, um, "Are you are are you ready today or something? Ready for this call? Yeah, ready for this call." Uh, and, uh, and I was ready for this call at one o'clock, which is, uh, I, for, but for, no, no, not this call, that call. Oh, that call. That, I when I, when I said this call this you morning, meant I, meant, call. I meant that call. Yes. You meant, uh, and I, whoop, hello. I, I can't hear you. Uh, oh. equally as late for the normal time as I would be for a different time. Your your audio just cut out for me. Oh, weird! Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Weird. I uh, I don't know what to, to what to tell you about that. I haven't done anything. I have. I'm using a an unbroken microphone. That's good. Um, I'm not in my echoey home office. I'm in no, my, your your audio sounds really good. I'm I'm like super. Um, I'm in my uh, not not home office. Um, <laughs> you're in the zone. I'm in the zone, Don. I have stuff to talk about. I have stories to tell you. I am wearing. Uh, first of all, let's talk about what I'm wearing. Uh, I don't often come to my office. Uh, dre- what? And anyone would? No one would. <laughs> you don't. You'd, wait. You don't often come to your office dressed. Dressed. Yeah. No one would mistake me for being uh, someone who dresses up a lot. Uh, I like to wear. I. I like to wear jeans, but I don't often wear jeans because my the 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 implied dress code in my department is not jeans. But but I wear jeans every once in a while. I'm not wearing jeans today. Today I actually came to my office with a jacket. Um, well, yeah, because you had a very important meeting this morning at did, nine o'clock when we were not having a call. When we were not having a call, we were having you were having a call. I was having a meeting. And it turns out I I wasn't um, I wasn't duped by my meeting, but I I received an invitation that was very like nice like by invite only. Want you to come to this meeting, and it was very like personal like dear Ben, please come to this. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. And the meeting was with um, the uh, United States uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. So oh. I thought I thought. That maybe it was me. You you thought he was resigning, but he was going to tap you as his replacement. Be honest now. Be honest. That was the first thought. I did not think that at all. And that was was the furthest furthest thing. I thought that maybe um, Sonny and I would be just meeting at Starbucks, just the two of us, and he wanted to pick my brain on something. Yeah. And that my college was facilitating it by invite only. Yeah. Um, and then when I when I arrived this morning, uh, it was a much larger meeting than I had uh, anticipated. Like oh, the, was, the, like it was you and Sonny and the president. It was me, Sonny, and uh, the chancellor. Oh, okay. At university, and then about 110 other people. 
So I <laughs> 110 of your closest friends. My, my closest friends. Um, a few of whom I'm friends with on Facebook. Uh, and, but I thought it was going to be a much, uh, I thought, I thought it was just like me and him and, and we were going to, we were just going to hash it out. We were going to talk about the world's, uh, agriculture problems and, and just, you know, have a, have a cup of coffee and, and just figure it out. Go sketch out a strategy on the back of a napkin. <laughs> have a cup of coffee and chill. Is have that a, a is that a thing yeah. your kids do? Yeah. Have a cup of coffee and chill and, uh, or a cup of coffee. Uh, and chill. Uh, uh, anyway, so it was not, but it was a very, it was kind of a interesting day. It was uh, a panel discussion. Um, and, uh, our, uh, friend, friend of the podcast, a friend in, in real life, uh, Rich Linton, Dean of my college was one of the panelists. Um, and, uh, a couple other, uh, folks, um, Rodolph, uh, Barangau, Barangu. I never know how to say his last name, but I just call him Rodolph who works on CRISPR technology. Uh, oh, is that and, for like keeping the vegetables crisp? Is that it what is. that is? It's a lo- it's one of those, it's the, the drawer on the right, uh, in your refrigerator. Ah, got it. Uh, actually, um, in my refrigerator, it's the drawer on top, but anyway, it's a, the, weird. Um, so, but there, there, it was a panel on biotechnology and, uh, and, and a little bit on food safety, but, but here's where the conversation went, Don. Uh, there were, there were parts of, uh, of this conversation that were, um, very, very predictable. There were parts that were frustrating. Um, and, and then there were parts that I, that I tuned out, but there were some parts that were interesting. Um, and part of the conversation was, I mean, a, a big portion was about what we do communication <laughs> and awesome. Yeah. But, but like, in in a way where, hey, everyone would adopt CRISPR technology or GMOs if we could just communicate better. And <laughs> and and what's your what's your opinion on that, Doctor Chapman? Oh, Don, I don't. Need if to only get... we could communicate better, Ben, people wouldn't worry about stuff. Right, right. That, I mean, you you just uh, it's almost like you were there, Don. It was... <laughs> it's, it's almost as if I've been in the room um, yes. when those conversations happened. Yeah, right. Right. And we've seen it. We've kind of seen it before. It's it's like the conversation that I distinctly remember ha- uh, being part of at an IAFP meeting 15 years ago when I just was moving into this world of um, education and communication and how do you change behaviors. And, and I was working with the greenhouse vegetable industry and, and someone I was I was inexplicably in a session on listeria and ready to eat foods right like that because that's the that's the generic like session at iafp there's always one of those and it was on sanitation in in plants and um i i think i was a student monitor that's why i sat through the whole thing so uh picture yourself in a symposia of six speakers where each of the six speakers ended their talk with we could fix this if we just had more education right sure like, like yeah without and and i I became cynical at that point thinking, well, I've just been studying food safety education and there's a heck of a lot of information out here on it. And then if you scratch the surface a little bit and you start looking at risk communication or you go into adult education, you're looking at tens of thousands of studies in the world of we just need more education. And it's not as simple as, hey, we should just do better communication. (laughs) Right? Right. Like. People will trust us and just communicate better because it's 
not it's it, it, here's the tagline for the podcast it's uh, depends and it's complicated um so so anyway it was uh, i appreciate the the invite and i don't you know i don't want this conversation to sound like i i didn't want to go i enjoy i like i liked watching this panel and i liked that parts of it were predictable and i liked that it was at, at times there was a candid uh uh conversation but it also reminded me that um that the the answer like it's almost like i described this to a colleague uh, an hour ago um bringing a bunch of scientists and agriculture people into a room and saying hey we just need better communication is like bringing a hundred consumers into a room and being like hey can you guys teach us about biotechnology like that like <laughs> perfect <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. they're not. Yep. They're not really experts in that. Nope. Nope. Well, except I mean, there was one expert in the room. So did you? Did you at some point like stand up and say, you know, pound your shoe on the table and say, uh, "Hey, guys, listen up. I communicate for a living, and you're all doing it wrong." I didn't. I didn't. And I, I, I didn't. I didn't even feel the need to do that. And I just thought, I'm going to file this away. And I'm going to come back to this conversation when there are people in the room who I, who I do know and say, remember when we had this conversation about communication and how trust, well, that's kind of what I do. And if you guys are really interested in this, um, I, I, I'd like to work on that. Um, so, but, so yeah. were you, did you, were you where you could make eye contact with, with Rich Linton during any of this? Cause I think he's a smart enough guy that he knows that that's yeah. not the solution. And like, did you like look at him and raise your eyebrow and like, you know, kind of do a, like a, you know, like a little, uh, like a little gesture? <laughs> I, I not, no, I didn't. I didn't. I won't, I won't pretend. I wish I, I wish I had, I was, I was watching the, the body language of, of, you know, a few of the panelists, um, and, and there were, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't sort of catch his eye and be like, uh, Hey, Hey, look, look over here. It's I, yeah. I let's, we should talk about this. Um, one, one of the, uh, one of the other things that, that came out of it, which was an interesting, um, situation. So, so, so this, you know, more communication, right. And I, I talked to you a while ago about going to FDA's risk communication advisory group. Remember that? Uh, yes. Maybe. And again, I've completely lost your audio. Before I just up. Did do you lose my audio? Yep. Am I back? You're back. Weird. Don, do you think I should turn my Dropbox off? Um, I don't know. Yeah, you could. I, I could turn mine off too. That would probably be good. Um, turn a bunch of stuff off here. Um. So so anyway, I, I was uh. Yeah, uh, F- FDA has this risk communication advisory group, and EPA has a risk communication office and advisory group. Guess, guess what I can't find at USDA? Uh, uh, communication something something. Well, they have communications, but they don't have anybody like it, it, there's nothing on their website like an office of risk communication or a risk communication advisory group, right? And they're talking about risks and food safety risks and production risks. But I don't, I don't think I don't like, and even, you know, I've, I've been working, um, pretty closely with the group at FSIS that runs Ask Karen and the Meat and Poultry Hotline. That information group is not, not what I would consider a risk communication group. But right. FDA has that. Well, and so I can tell you what, what USDA has is, 
in the office of this is going to blow your mind the chief economist okay they have the risk assessment and cost benefit analysis group okay and the only reason that i know about that group is uh that my friend uh mark powell who is oh, yeah. A, yeah is a risk assessor yeah with yeah. a risk assessor with fda but not with fsis right like he sits in this this level of the office of the chief economist doing risk assessments on like beetles that get brought into the united states in lumber Right, and we're not doing risk assessment, we're reviewing risk assessments, and so. But that is again strictly the office of the chief economist, and it's really risk assessment and cost benefit. It's nothing about communication. It's really about risk assessment and maybe a little bit of risk management. Oh, it's fascinating. I, I, I as I spent some time in like in this panel um, on my iPad, I was like, oh, you know, what's out there, and. Um, you can, you know, FDA has on their website a strategic plan for risk communication that they update. It's all there. And that was, you know, the group that I, that I went and spoke about or spoke to. Um, but when you look at, at USDA, they, they don't, they don't really talk about it. And other than buried in, in a document from 2004, um, that I'll, that I'll link to here, um, that is about, um, a theoretical framework for a mass media campaign plan um, that was prepared for FSIS and, and the communications group. A couple of times they say social marketing and risk communication. <laughs> okay, well there you go. Yeah, but it's not. It's not the. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as having a group that does, you know what I mean. Like if you're. Oh yeah, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, like if you're if you're gonna make communication a big thing, the. The ag secretary kept talking about ag communications, which is a different thing. What is that? What does that even mean, though? Honestly, Ben, what is ag communications? Communicating about ag? I mean, what does that even mean? I think it means telling stories about how agriculture impacts lives. I mean, that that's okay. So that's. I think that I think you're confusing that with agricultural promotion which uh, uh, yeah which is be. a thing that USDA I think is really really good at yeah right well, agriculture is are... great go go ag right oh here we go I've, I found this is at Auburn University you could get an agricultural communications major mm. I don't think we have this program at NC State well, it's probably best that I look that up <laughs> um, communicate I know we have an ag communications department or a group that works in our college to do communications on behalf of the College of Agriculture. That's, that's um, different. Though. That's different. Um, and then in agriculture and extension uh, and education, which is now in my department, um, there are some things on communicate. Anyway, uh, let's look at communication. Yeah, nothing there. All right, let's go go to Auburn. Agricultural communications major. The agricultural communications program is designed to produce graduates. I'm going to read this, and you can't see it because I haven't texted it to you. Um, Who possess exceptional communication skills meshed with a strong science-based background in agricultural and natural resources. This degree enables graduates to communicate vital information related to science, agriculture, natural resources, food, and the environment to diverse audiences. They, these graduates are prepared to work in the public and private sectors. Um, they could do things like writers, photographers, graphic designers, blah, 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 blah. Uh, these graduates work throughout corporate America. 
uh, institutions of higher learning. It doesn't really tell you what it is, though. Uh, well, it sounds like Just, ag journalism. It, it uh, well, does. Ag, it's ag journalism. It does. Right? Yeah. It's ag journalism. Which is uh, fine. It's a good thing. We need people right, to do it's that. Stories about agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. I think we get mixed up in trust and communication and education and the public, like all those nebulous uh, words. And in it, you know, so there's there's a role for you and I in mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. Um, because I think what what we do is try to tell stories about the food industry and the food system and the food world and food safety. Uh, and maybe we're ag communicators. Did you ever think that, about that, Don? Well, I, well, for sure, for sure, I consider myself a communicator, right? Like that's what I do for a living. I talk. Well, I'm not a journalist, but I talk to people in journalism, right? I talk to journalists. Uh, I talk to students. I talk to people that uh, work in the real world. Um, yeah, and and and, and certainly communication is part of my job. But I wouldn't. So, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit meta, right? Like, like I communicate, but I don't. Study how people communicate, right? Like, right. Like I, that. That I think is more what you do, and more what our colleague Bill Hallman does, uh, and, and people that are, I would say, are risk communication scholars. So, yes, um, yes. and I know for sure, like I know enough, like to fake it, but but I'm not, and and I used to, I used to call myself like doing that, but then I decided, you know, I really shouldn't, I should really just stick to what I'm good at and, and I can fake it if I need to, to fake it. But for the most part, there are probably other people that can do a much better job of that like you and, and, uh, and Bill Hallman. So, yeah. I, it, well, and I think that that's, yeah. And there are people that do a better job at it than Bill and I do. Oh yeah. That are communi- that that actually, you know, that are risk communication, um, you know, people, the researchers. And so, yeah, it was the, the takeaway for me was, um, Hey, there's a role because I can at least point people towards this communication thing and communication is a barrier, but it's not And you and I have talked about this a lot. And I, I keep going back to the videos that IFT put out, um, three or four years ago, just talking about how great the food industry is. And that's not risk communication. That's, that's, Telling a That's very positive story. Public relations, Ben, which public which is re- actually yes. something you can go to school and you can study journalism and then you can do public relations. That's an actual job that people have, right? But and it's different. But it's not the same. It's not yes. the same as what we're talking about. So true. And the, just to button this up, um, one of the panelists said part of our problem is our PR. Right. But then went into we need better communication and the PR and communication. Those are different things. They're not it's not the same. At least my my take on risk communication and building trust is very different than PR. Right. PR is getting people to believe your point of view, whereas communication and trust is about having a dialogue that may I mean, so with PR, like if you you win in the end, if you if you convince the other person that you're right and they're wrong or you, you, you know, you, 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 you convey your, your viewpoint in a way that maybe changes minds. Whereas I think in risk communication, as, as I see it, it's about having a dialogue. And that means that you, the person who is part of that may actually change your mind in response to or you may realize like, gosh, it's not about telling people that they eat need to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. It's really about maybe working with farmers to, so they can do a better job of making sure that fresh fruits and vegetables don't give people food poisoning. Right. Right. Yeah. So 
I don't know. It was, yeah. I, I'm gl- I'm glad I went. I, I'm a little disappointed that it wasn't just Sunny and I at Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because I was, it's good. I know. Maybe I should have read more. Maybe I, I have uh, different expectations. Well, uh, maybe education. Maybe, maybe the their public relations people just did a really good job with messaging, and and that was the what they wanted to convey to you. It worked. And uh, they hoodwinked you. You know, they snookered yeah. you. They you into a meeting. And I went. It was good. It was fun. And there was, you know what, Tom? There were pastries and coffee. And <laughs> what's not to you know, love? What's not to love? And and there was like Secret Service guys. Oh yeah. And and it was um, yeah. It was good. <laughs> were, they, were they talking into their sleeve? They no, but but they. I mean, I they they were like Secret Service guys that were uh, agriculture world friendly. Mm. Like a couple of dudes in um, were they in like, over, overalls and, uh, and and straw hats? No, no overalls, but uh, polo shirts and oh. uh, just you know hanging out like uh, like you would you, you, you there wasn't a suit. It wasn't a suit in in, uh, wow. in the security detail. Well, because here's the thing: if you're if you're in ag, um, uh, secret security or uh, uh, secret service, if you were dressed in like the black suit with the sunglasses and the white shirt, you would stand out. And that's you probably would. not what you – if you're in, like, Secret Service and you're protecting Sonny Purdue, you know, you probably want to have a plaid shirt and, and be kind of paunchy, I think, you know. Yeah, kind of and you just blend, blend in, in. Blend yeah. in with the crew. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, it was, it was cool. What Part of it was was candid. Um, it was – and, and so that was kind of – that was nice as well. Um, so anyway, that was, that was my morning and I missed out on a, on a phone call that you were on. That was, um, I'm sure, I'm sure exciting. Uh, we could talk about that offline sometime. If you, if you like, if you like budgets, Ben, if, you, if, if you're you like budget, budgets, it was you're a budget guy. Yeah. You gotta get your budget guy on this one. Um, yeah. So that, so that, uh, Hey, I got, I've got other stuff that I want to talk about. Okay. I mean, that's why we have a podcast, right? Yeah. Um, so Don, Ben, I, I almost, I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna be overly dramatic on this because I think it adds to the, um, the punchline of the story. But bum, bum, um, bum, bum. yeah, but on Monday, Don, I almost got arrested for doing <gasps> research. I, I, you know, I saw, I saw something about that, yeah. and I was, I think Beck posted something on she Facebook, did. and I uh, color me intrigued. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you about this fascinating day and project. You know, you know, I like, I like novel data collection techniques, right? Like that's, that's one of the things I like to, especially when it comes to what people do. I am not a fan of asking people on surveys, right? Like their, their, their limitations. Sur- people surveys like, have, surveys have their role. They do. But they're not necessarily the only way to get information. Right, right. So here's, here's the, the story of how I almost got arrested. It starts back maybe three years ago when, uh, <laughs> Oh, was this when you were making meth in the cooler of, no, of a car? No, but that's, that is, I have a slide that's going in my slide deck in my slide deck. How old am I? I've never even seen a slide deck in my slides, uh, for a talk that I'm giving next week of a cooler to tell the story about making meth in the back of a car and Ellen Thomas's car as she was testing, uh, temperatures on leafy greens in storage. And, um, and then a, a sign or a, a picture of us set up next to a, um, no exceptions do, do not solicit, do not loiter sign. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. 
So about three years ago, um, our, our good friends who, who now uh, I know, I know one of them listens to the podcast cause, but I, we, I mentioned them almost every time now, uh, John Lachansky and Anna Porto Fett at USDA ARS, they, um, had, they, they had a bunch of pictures that they had taken as part of a retail, uh, project. Sorry, I needed some water there. Um, and the, they had these pictures and said, how do we, what do we do with these? Like, can we analyze pictures? These are things that we saw at retail while we were collecting samples. And, um, we think that there's a story here because we saw some stuff that could be risk factors for foodborne illness. <clears throat> so they, they gave me these pictures and, um, we looked into the literature about analyzing pictures for content analysis and what could we do. And, I've told like a longer version of the story on the podcast before, but we essentially tried to make those pictures into data and, and it didn't really fit because they weren't taken systematically and they weren't taken in a way where they were supposed to be um, collected as data. So, so we then took those pictures and, and said, here's a shopper's eye view on food safety. Um, these are just things that people saw in grocery stores and, it's not systematic and there's a ton of limitations, but what we can use these pictures to demonstrate to employees that these factors happen every once in a while. We don't know how much or, or when, but this is what it looks like. So we did that, wrote that paper, published it. That one won a, uh, an award at, uh, um, IAFP in 2017. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm battling. Uh, there, there might actually be a, a bug in my throat here. Um, oh. So, who is um, won an award for most downloaded uh, uh, paper in in 2016? So great, awesome. Uh, but the project didn't end there because what we, as we talked about it as a group, we got really interested in saying, okay, well, what if we gave these pictures to consumers? Would they see the same things that we see? Um, and that turned into another project where we actually did that, uh, constructed an online survey, gave them these pictures and said, do you, you know, is there anything here that concerns you or there are food safety risks? And some of these pictures had things like cockroaches and some of them had like water dripping from the ceiling and some of them had no bare hand contact. And then some looked really good. Like here's a good example of, of something. And, and so we asked people questions about it. So where we got to after that, cause that wasn't good enough for me and for the, for our team was, okay, so yeah, there are differences in their perceptions, but what actually happens when someone walks into a grocery store? Can they, what do they see if they're not food safety nerds like you and I? Do they care? Would they recognize a, a food safety risk? Um, you know, whatever. So over the last five or six months, we, we devised a plan on how to collect that data. And so we recruited a bunch of secret shoppers, consumers, um, people from you know various backgrounds, but but people that are um, the primary shoppers in their family. These are the folks that go do grocery shopping, and we um, recruited them to come to a grocery store uh, in groups of eight. Uh, over this last weekend, and we had 72 shoppers in, in groups of eight. And um, they didn't – what we wanted them to do was act as individuals in the store 
And and so a group of eight would go in. None of the eight would really know that other people were there. We staggered their check-in times, but we kept them close to the same time. Okay, so, so, so just to be clear, there's a group of eight that go in as like a cohort, but they don't know the other seven. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And and they they don't yeah, they don't know that there are other people doing it, but we wanted to do it. So they all experienced about the same thing. Right. right. Like, well, cause that would be, a, that would be an important part of experimental design, right? Like one person goes in one day, another person goes in another day, they see different things. Well, yeah. Cause they went into different, essentially different yes. stores, right? The, you don't step in the same river twice and all that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we, so we tried to like, how do you balance that? So, so we, you know, gave a, um, a check-in period of, you know, eight, 10 minute slots and try to separate people out knowing that it wasn't going to be perfect. Cause every once in a while, two people are going to show up at the same time because someone's early, someone's late, whatever. Um, there was a ninth person though, that went in and it was an environmental health specialist, um, who acted as our, our control control. Right. Yeah. So, so she, she goes in friend of the friend of the pod, uh, cast, she goes in, um, and does the same thing. Uh, looks for things and and what and I, by things I, I put that into Richard Fingers here for a second, because what we what we asked them to do was look for things that concern them from a food safety standpoint. We didn't want them to be like any more specific like, than that because it right. could it could be cockroaches, it could be a broken tile, or it could be like a bunch of poop on on someone's hands, you know, on the on the extremes. But we didn't we wanted to be very generic on that. Right. You wanted them focused on food safety, but nothing really specific. You didn't want to give them a list of possibilities because right. you didn't want to lead them at all. You just want to use whatever their concept is in their mind of food safety. Yes. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um and and so we gave them uh uh, iPod touches, and we wanted them to p- to take pictures of, of the. Oh, I see the problem now. No, 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 that's not yet. Okay. The, so it turns out that is what I had worried about, but that wasn't the issue. Um, so anyway, people taking pictures, but then we, like, uh, about two weeks ago, said, okay, worst case scenario, what happens? Well, the store figures out that we're sending eight people in <laughs> to take pictures of food safety things. So we give them a letter that says, look, if someone stops you, don't, don't like panic. Just hand them a letter that says, I'm part, I'm a secret shopper. So I'm part of this study. Here are the people that you need to talk to. They're at NC state, please call them. So, uh, we really thought that the, like, uh, you know, we're now through this data collection, so I can tell you a little bit about it. We thought that someone would get stopped. No one got stopped. No one handed a letter no, that never became a became a factor. Where our problem came up was um, we the check-in process. So to to organize this and sort of check in three groups of people, three groups of eight people over a day, we needed to have a few people there to do this and try and keep it separate so that not everybody knew what they were doing at the same time. And we were outside. And so um, one of the thoughts was, well, let's just like put up a 10 by 10 tailgating tent in the parking lot over here away from a grocery store, still in their parking lot, but in a strip mall where who knows who we could be belonging to. Right. But, but definitely like you weren't like parked right out from in front (laughs) of the store, right? You were, you were trying to be as unobtrusive as you could be in a parking lot with a tailgating tent at a strip mall. Yes. 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 Um, So day one, everything goes great. Sunday, no one cares. Day two, we set up Monday morning, uh, getting ready. Don't have our, our first people haven't shown up yet. 
And then, uh, hey, a guy in a pickup truck shows up. And we think, oh, maybe this is one of our participants. But based on the look on his face, he's not one of our participants. Um, he gets out and is like, can I help you? And so I sense the tone that we may have uh, encountered someone who might be in charge of this place. Um, and so I explained Did to him. Did you show him a letter? <laughs> not show him a letter. Okay. I said – Oh, hey, yeah, I'm a professor at NC State. We're running a research project. We're meeting our participants here. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what we're doing. Um, and he said, well, I own this place. I'm the landlord. Um, what you're doing, and there's a sign right behind you. <laughs> he didn't say that, but there was one. It says, no soliciting, no loitering, no exceptions. Um, you know, well, what you're doing here so is— So clearly you're not soliciting. No, we're not. And you're we not. And well, the loitering. Lo- what's the definition of lo- loitering? Would imply that you were didn't were didn't really have any like you were didn't have any objective. But you had a very clear objective. You were you were conducting right, research. Right. Didn't say no conducting research. <laughs> That's true. The loiter stand or wait around idly without apparent purpose. We had no. We had purpose. an obvious, clear apparent purpose. Exactly. True. 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 So anyway, he says this is private. Your audio dropped out again. Of the lease that I have with Whole Foods. Oops, that's the name of the, <laughs> That's where we did one of our spots. Whoops. Um, so with the grocery store. Uh, and uh, so we said, hey, uh, so sorry. We didn't think of that. Uh, we're, we'll pack up. So, you know, we're, we're out. No problem. And, uh, and, and so we, we you know, took down our tent and packed it up in the, um, in, in the van. Now, herein lies the here, you're I'm losing you on audio again. Oh, no. Something's up. Well, here, here's the logistical challenge of the day that we encountered, um, that we had a bunch of people coming to meet us, and now we were leaving the parking lot. So um, Katrina, uh, who does a fantastic job working for me on lots of projects, called like 24 people. Um, and oh, right, because people are coming. People are coming. Yeah. And we moved our operation to my, um, my office, which is not too far away, and set up a tent there. But here's where the police part comes in. So, oh, right. Okay. So you've, you have now um, successfully navigated the landlord problem. But yes, but but we we still have people. This happened after some people had already checked in. So we got people in the store that are checking out that don't know this is happening. So we pack up and then leave a couple of people there. Right. Just sitting in a car. And and those people see a police officer arrive and go up and down the aisles to make sure that we're no longer there. No. Yep. So anyway. Uh, no one got arrested, almost got arrested. I mean, I think that counts, right? Like, I didn't overstate it uh, too much. No, I, I, you know, here's the thing, Ben. If I'm working with you and you you head out to go to your office and I'm sitting there in a car waiting for people to come and I see a cop car cruising I'm towards me, I'm – yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking I might get arrested. So I did yeah. not – you did not embellish that at all. Oh. So, uh, but anyway, that was, but there's, here's, here's the thing. What could have we done? Right. So this is what the, what the landlord said was you could have called for permission beforehand. True. He wouldn't have given us permission. Right. Or he would have informed. Even if he did. Yeah. It's, it blows the whole experiment. Right. Right. Because they can't know that you're coming. Right. That is the point. We're trying to control for all of this stuff. And, and I, 
what what you could have done is to say, well, come to Ben's office, which is nearby the store, and then go to the store, right? But so, who who you know who would I mean who, who would think of that, right? Except after the fact. So day three, because I'm just reporting what happened on day two. Day three, we find a location at a public library that is right across from the next store that we're going to. And we call the public library and say, hey, can we set up in your in your parking lot? Library Librarian says, fantastic. We love to participate in research. Come on out. <laughs> of course they do because they're librarians. Because they're awesome. Librarians are great. So uh, so anyway, day three worked out great. And I, uh, But I, I did have a panic. Uh, about this because I was very concerned that this was our downfall for this project was where you know someone's going to complain about us being set up in a parking lot and it and it happened and guess what wasn't a big deal we managed it and we got over a hundred pictures um, I think it was eighty six people because we over uh, over recruited thinking that some people wouldn't show up and we've got we got we've got a lot of data about what people see and I don't know what it looks like. We're going to analyze that in the next couple of weeks, but um, but anyway, it was this. It, you know, it. I, I had this conversation with some students when we were out there, and this whole thing took a lot of work and it took a lot of coordination. It's way harder than than running a survey, but the data that we get, I think, is going to be way richer. I hope it is. I, yeah, I th- I think so. So, I guess my only question is. How, how, how do you think that this landlord discovered you? Was he just out like doing his normal landlord business and he saw something suspicious or do you think he was like tipped off? I think he was tipped off door. Yeah. So, so there was someone, someone else, um, who wasn't the landlord, uh, j- sort of stopped in front of our booth down, uh, an aisle, not booth, our tent mm-hmm. and, and sat there and was just on his phone. He was pretty like, in, like, wasn't. Didn't talk to us, wasn't like looking at us, but sat there for a couple of minutes. And then about 15 minutes after that happened, the landlord rolled up. So I think that individual either knew the landlord or worked there or was a manager or something was like, hey, there's someone with a tent here. Can you come check it out? Right. And so I think the lesson is when when you do this again, you just need to pick a an adjacent spot and then get exactly. permission from them, like the, the friendly librarians or whomever. Yeah. And that so done. We got it. We got it figured out for awesome. For next time. Cool. Uh, but yeah, it was. It's been. It, it was. It's been a fun week. <laughs> so so can I tell you about my fun week, which is you yes. know I thought was going to be a great great fun, but it was. I didn't almost get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please do tell. Do tell. So and then and then I think we got. We need to do listener uh, feedback uh, follow up uh, because because we got a bunch of it. So and I don't want to run out of time. So um, so. Have you have we talked about the podcast uh, due by Friday? We I've I've listened uh, to the podcast. I think we've mentioned it. Yes. Okay. So are you? And I don't know if you know that they have now um, what they call uh, I think they call them uh, uh, first responders. Uh, These are I think I think if I'm if I'm looking at this correctly. Um, uh, Anyway, they have uh, you can sponsor them on Patreon. Are you are you are you familiar with Patreon? I am, and I have not sponsored them on Patreon, but I know you have. I have. So, it so, and the reason why I did is because it's they're an awesome podcast, and everybody should sponsor them. But also, um, it, so the 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 conceit of the show, the, the premise of the show, is that these people get these three people get together, and they make a challenge 
for something that they have to do by the Friday uh, uh, at the end of the week, okay? And then they have a nominally have a podcast to talk about that, but that's like kind of saying like you and I have a podcast to talk about food safety, right? It's just it's just a, an excuse to get together and talk. So right. So I um, oh, and then so if you sponsor them on Patreon, you get access to the After Dark. Okay, and in the after dark, you get to hear about what the podcast is going to be about the next week, right? So you get to hear what the challenge is, and then theoretically, if you want to play along at home, you can do that. So, um, so I sponsored them. the The challenge for this week's episode, which has not yet come out, was to sous vide something. No way! But. Here's the rub. It, it was to sous vide something that was not food. Ooh. <laughs> okay? okay. So one and, – and I don't have the links because the show hasn't posted yet, but but we will uh, – I'll see if we can link to it um, um, uh, before we post this one. But if not, then you'll just have to – well, we'll definitely link to the Dubai Friday website and you can go from there. So uh, one of the people on the show, and I don't remember which one, was reading about like one of the things that you can sous vide – is like your shoes. So if your shoes if your shoes are smelly, you just put your shoes into a plastic bag and drop it in your sous vide. And the sous vide, because you know we all know Ben sous vide kills germs. Um, the sous vide uh, uh, just kills the germs from your your shoes. <laughs> that, that that seems not true, Don. Well, so here's the thing, um, because because I I know a little bit about sous vide thanks thanks to you, and and I know a little bit about um, thermal inactivation of microorganisms because I have a, got a PhD in 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 that, <laughs> nominally in that. Um, I sent I sent. Uh, I sent an email message, and I thought about I could I could try to tweet something, but it's like it's this is this one, even, this, even a 280 characters this won't fit. So I sent an email to uh, to guest of this show and friend of the show Merlin Mann, uh, who is one of the the hosts on Dubai Friday, and I said, "Hey Merlin, um, here's why I think this won't work: um, wet heat, dry heat, you know, blah blah blah." Um, and he sent me a message back saying, "Oh, this is fascinating. Do you mind if I?" forward this to your host and i'm like do i mind <laughs> that's why i said it to you yeah so um and so i so, so i so i said sure no go ahead fine um and then i get a little while late a message a little while back saying hey um would you like to come on the after dark and talk about this message that you sent to me and i'm like oh my god would i yes i, yes, I would and he's like, okay, so we record at uh, like uh, the after dark. We think we'll start around two o'clock on um, Eastern on uh, Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, that's a little tight. So what was going on Wednesday, uh, which is yesterday as we record this, um, was we had the New Jersey affiliate of IAFP um, where uh, I'm, I'm on the board and I was actually speaking at that particular event and also a friend of the the podcast, uh, Callie Neal, uh, was our, uh, IAFP speaker. And it was like, well, I can, I can't at two o'clock I can, but I've got a hard out at two 30. And uh, what it was, was I think I was talking at two 30 and what it would have meant is I would have missed, um, part of Callie's talk, which was like one 30 to two 30, but I was like, well, it's okay. I can, you know, she's talking about parasites and viruses, so I can probably get the slides and you know, it's okay. So, yeah. um, so I'm sitting there um, at the meeting, but not actually at the meeting. Um, oh, and so then I get a message saying, Oh, what's your Skype handle? 
I get, I get a message, email message from Alex Cox, who is the one who kind of runs all the, I think, you know, all the organizational logistics. Um, I said, what's your Skype handle? And it's like, oh, we will talk to you soon. And then I'm sitting there and it's uh, one o'clock Eastern, which I don't know, Ben, if you don't know, that's not two o'clock Eastern. That's one o'clock no, that's, Eastern. Um, one o'clock, it's, right? But, but I think it's, would that be, that wouldn't even be one o'clock. So they're in, Merlin's in San Francisco. They're in Chicago. So one o'clock Eastern would be noon for Chicago. Right. So it's not, anyway, there's no, there's no math that makes that work out. But anyway, I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, my computer rang. I'm, and fortunately, I'm sitting outside because I'm actually oh, so the thing, uh, so I'm on a phone call because because I'm I'm really good at getting myself double, Book. triple booked. Yeah, is me too. I'm on a phone call with the Rutgers University Environmental Health Environmental Health Science. Anyway, the people that that run uh, the biosafety program for the university because I'm a member of the biosafety committee and we're reviewing protocols and blah blah blah. And the call is just wrapping up, okay, um, and then all of a sudden, um, my, f- my computer rings, and it's <laughs> it's the podcast, and I'm like, hello? <laughs> and it's like, hey, Don. It's like, oh, I... I I, I I must have got the time wrong. I, I'm I don't have my head. I don't have my microphone. I'm just talking to you from the audio from my computer. Do I sound okay? And then I had a absolutely fascinating 15 minute conversation with those guys where we talked oh. about uh, sous vide. Um, and it will be in the after dark, which you can only hear if you're a Patreon supporter. So go support Patreon. That's super cool. Yeah. So anyway, I'm really, oh, and it looks like the episode uh, just posted or the after dark just posted. So, um, so the show should be out soon. So, so anyway, so check, so check that out. That's awesome. Hey, so speaking of sous vide, I sent you a text yesterday um, and we'll link to this one, but it's a YouTube video. So we'll, uh, we'll just link to the YouTube video and show notes. Um, but one of, um, one of the area specialized agents in food safety who focuses on consumer and retail food safety, Debbie Stroud, who, um, works, you know, works in my, in my group, uh, sent me this link from, uh, a, a chef from a year ago about making, uh, hamburgers sous vide and kind of like, getting getting stuff a little bit wrong on time temperature combinations so like pushing um appendix a but missing it by like three degrees so saying okay um you know have a uh you know sous vide your your burger for 30 minutes at 133 degrees fahrenheit instead of at 136 degrees Fahrenheit, which turns out makes a big difference um, in the in the world of uh, thermal inactivation of uh, pathogens. And uh, and anyway, follow this, and you'll make the greatest burger. And then you'll you know sear it for 45 seconds afterwards, but you'll get a safe burger at the end of it. Um, and so I don't know if you had a chance to look at that video, but it is kind of like it. It always amazes me how three degrees Fahrenheit matters so much. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, like that. That it. That it makes that you go from fifty six minutes, um, uh, to get the same. You know, fifty six minutes at one hundred and thirty three degrees Fahrenheit to get the same kill as thirty minutes at one hundred and thirty six degrees Fahrenheit. 
like it's it's crazy. Yeah, and and I um and in fact when we had Merlin Mann on the podcast, this also blows his mind. Like he like like the whole idea of kinetics and the nonlinear nature of kinetics. And so the, so the bottom line is, I did not watch the video because I um uh, who has time to watch videos, but Ooh, right. but but we'll link to it in the show notes. So, but this is uh, yeah. And here's the thing about sous vide is like you really need to get this stuff right because like you said three degrees can make a whole huge amount of difference right right um it's it, yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy and and especially three degrees over a half an hour right right like three yeah so yeah we the, the whole time temperature stuff is is pretty fascinating so um yeah check it out and then there are a whole bunch of if you look on YouTube, they give you lots of suggestions for other burger sous vide method, you know, medium rare stuff. Um, but it's not, uh, eh, I mean, it's as safe as if you undercooked it, not sous vide. <laughs> well, right. And that's, and that would not be good. Right. So if yep. you want to do, um, uh, rare burgers, that's fine, but you got to follow, you got to follow the right time temperature combination. It's kind of like home canning in a way, right? It's like right, right. the recipe matters. And you know, it also has just occurred to me, it has occurred to me a number of times recently, as I've been thinking about sous vide, this is also the answer. Speaking of another guest that we had on the podcast, this is the answer to Dan Benjamin's beef jerky question. All he needs to do oh. is sous vide the beef jerky prior to jerky fying it, right? He just needs Holy. to sous vide it, right? Holy crap. Yes. And Dan Benjamin tweeted that he wants to come back on our show a while ago, like last week or two weeks ago. We should invite him back and, and be like, we have a solution for you. Yes. Um, hey, so uh, other, so let me, this is a bit of follow-up that is along the same lines. Last episode, uh, no, I guess it was two episodes ago. Uh, we talked about chicken, chicken sashimi and the gross, 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 uh, dish of that. Mm -hmm. Well, my friend, Matt Kosey, or listen to that pod, listen to that episode. And we had lunch yesterday and he said, uh, you know, the chicken sashimi, um, you know, for listeners who didn't listen to that episode, uh, the way that it's served in Japan is uh, basically um, blanched. Like it's it's dropped into boiling water for a couple minutes to sear the – not sear the outside, but I guess, you know, reduce the risk of pathogens or numbers of pathogens on the outside. Uh, and then you eat this inside raw burger or raw chicken breast, whatever it is. So he he was like got an idea from our discussion about sampling the inside of chicken meat how do you do it like without contaminating the inside of the meat by cutting it open if you had pathogens on the outside and he's like oh i'm so stupid all i should do is just blanch it really quickly so um so anyway our sashimi conversation uh, led to to matt uh saying that he thought about a cool way to sample the inside of chicken that that is that is really cool and and yeah and and you know I have a, not insight into that exactly but you would think that um, like taking the outside off would be effective but what I can tell you based on the work that we've done with cucumber peeling you would think that if you peel the peel off a cucumber um, you would you wouldn't you would get like all the contamination off but you you don't right like the peeling process you actually cross contaminate yeah yeah. yeah. That makes makes per perfect sense. So so that yeah, blanching the outside is a way better idea um, than, um, than than trying to you know excise it with a in a sanitary Scalpel. way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, time for some uh, listener feedback, I think. I think you're right. So um, I'm going to go to one of our favorite feedback folks. Um, and I think you have to, you have to correct me on this, but, um, we have a, we have someone who listens to us. Who's a, an English professor. Are we allowed to say her name? Do you remember? She emailed us. I, I, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember either. You know who you are. Uh, yes. Uh, well, and she's not. She's not just an English professor. No, I she's. Know. She. Well, and that's actually how she describes herself. But she's. She's like a distinguished teaching professor or something. She's like. She's like hot stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know who you are, and we can't remember if we can say your name. And you'll probably. You may email us after listening to this and say, "Oh, yeah, of course you can say her, say my name," and we'll probably forget next time too. So we. I'm. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> she. She emailed you and said, "Hi, Don." I am infuriated. This is on September 22nd. I am infuriated by what looks like circular, brotastic obfuscation. Obfuscation? I I think, I don't even know if I'm saying that that right. right. Yep. Uh, On this recall page. And the link is to Death Wish Coffee. Yep. Oh, Death Wish Coffee. Um, And so I'm going to read from the Death Wish Coffee. Death Wish Coffee had a recall uh, on uh, September 22nd. And um, this uh, recall was because, uh, well, Don, it's kind of because they uh, have a product that's probably a low-acid canned food. And, and not, so, not, not because it's called Death Wish. No, but uh, that was where, where my Twitter lit up, and then I had to jump in on it. Uh, but, yeah, Death Wish Coffee might have botulism. Death Wish. Uh, so here's the recall notice. After several rounds of successful testing, a process specialist has recommended that we add an additional step to our nitro cold brew production process. Based on these recommendations, we've decided to recall all Death Wish nitro cans. If you have them, please dispose of them. Uh, Headline, as a precautionary measure, we're issuing a recall. Although we're pretty disappointed, we'd like to thank Cornell for being so rigorous in their testing. We can only get better. I hope that I've read that in the same tone that they wrote it. Um, in short, not, not quite protastic enough. <laughs> oh, my gosh. In short, it looks like our process wasn't perfect, and we're excited to revisit it with guidance from some of the most meticulous scientists in the world. Now, that's a little more protastic. That was good. Thanks. I think you got the protastic was... level just right on that. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Uh, headline. I consumed Death Wish Nitro recently. Am I going to be okay? If you have some of the Nitro at home, go ahead and get rid of it. There's been no degradation of quality at this point, but we want to err on the side of caution. No illnesses have been reported in connection with this issue. The recall is merely a precautionary step. Uh, for more information about foodborne illnesses, click here. What do I, Now, what do I do? That's the headline. Well, Don, that's the part I added. We're having a recall party and you're invited. Do not drink any unopened nitro. Discard it. If you bought Death Wish Nitro from a retailer, bring in proof of purchase for a refund. If you've ordered Death Wish Nitro online, we will fully, fully refund your order within 60 days. Blah, 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 blah. So then it's been you know pulled from the shelves. So we – without giving away too much info on this, um, we, you know, we talked to some people in the know and – uh, it turns out this product probably did not have a very um, uh, it, it, it did not have a low enough pH, and so they were making a low acid canned food and probably didn't know it. How does something like this happen, Don? What do you think? 
Well, I think uh, I think there are so many road, rogue food companies out there that they don't even consider the safety of their product, which is the best the best quote of the day <laughs> from our yes. text chat with uh, with a couple of uh, the relevant uh, the relevant folks here. So, um, you know, Ben, I work. I don't say I work a lot with entrepreneurs, but people do come to me with ideas for food companies. And I tell you, this coffee thing, this cold brew coffee thing is a real thing. Like there's a bunch of – this is not just uh, Death Wish Nitro people. It's There's yeah. other people out there trying to do this and uh, – it's uh, it's risky and 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 with teas too. Uh, it's these are these are not straightforward. These are these are perfectly straightforward products to make when you brew them and then you consume them. But when you take something that's meant to be consumed within a period of hours and you suddenly change that to days or weeks, um, it turns out microbiology matters. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of people out there doing some wacky stuff that um, maybe they shouldn't be doing and and they don't they don't think about it. Uh, absolutely, and I think that as I look at the products that Death Wish Coffee has on their on their website, I'm going to run through some of them. Coffee, Death Cups, Death Wish Coffee, five pounds, coffee, Valhalla Java Odin Force Blend. These are all dried coffee in cups. This isn't a company that makes cold brew coffee, right? right? They're a company right. that roasts coffee beans, and that's what they're good at. Then someone says, or they recognize that a cold brew is a market, so we're going to make some of this stuff, and we don't even think that. There's a difference between cold brew and roasted coffee because it's all coffee. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the exactly. approach that I think happens. Exactly. Actually, the, the best part of this is that we now we that's okay. When we now have a new um, a new code name for for one of the one of the people that we consulted here, Little Red Bear. Little Red Bear. Exactly. So, uh, so anyway, yeah. so uh, yeah. So, and I have to I have to read this is from from our friend of the pod uh, cast Michelle Danilek. She says testing pH may not make Little Red Bear the most meticulous scientist in the world, but his certainly his knowledge of how to drop the pH of coffee does. So anyway, <laughs> exactly thumbs thumbs up there for uh, for for friend of the podcast uh, Michelle uh, and yeah. and and Little Red Bear. Yeah. So how the, here's the like the so what and and really thanks to. Um, to friend of the podcast, uh, who we can't remember if we can name Professor Beth. We'll call her Professor yeah. Beth. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Beth, uh, here's what, you know, what, what do we take away from this or what do I take away from it? It's that as I talk to businesses, as I talk to people that make really good, whatever, and they want to turn it into a business that I ask them almost every time, what's the pH of your product and what's the water activity? Yes, and if, they, and if they look at me with a blank stare, I th- I think, or I say to them, you need to know that, and it's really not hard to figure this out. But that is going to tell you what you need to do with your product. Like it, that's you have to start there. And a Google of coffee pH um, would would show you that, like it's not it's out there. You don't have to go very far. Coffee, pH, FDA. There's a whole thing out there that says here are pH of common foods and coffee is probably never acidic, even though it seems like it's acidic. There's a paper here. Oh, yeah. What's from a (laughs) – I Google that and what do I get? 
um, I guess a dentist's <laughs> website, Robert V. Shelton, DDS. And he says that uh, coffee has a uh, pH of um, uh, 5.7. So take take that. Dr. Shelton, thank you for your help. There you go. I, I, if, if it's not much better if you go into Google Scholar and you Google coffee pH. Um, the, the first one is on uh, uh, first lasing an operation of an angstrom wave uh, oh. free electron laser. And the next one is on inhibitory effect of coffee on lower esophageal sphincter pressure. So oh, well, there you anyway. Go. Um, but yeah, but then I do the same thing. Like I ask, I say, so what's the pH of your product and what's or, or, or what's the water activity? Or I might say, do you know what pH is? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, one one of the things that that we do, we we teach a lot of environmental health specialists um, about food safety stuff and inspection and sous vide and specialized processes. One of the activities that I get them to do in this workshop every time we've run it is, okay, you know what pH is, environmental health specialist. Could you explain that to a restaurant operator, please? Like, yes. I want you to yes. tell me how you're going to explain what pH is because. Everything in this food code that's related to the time temperature control hinges on pH. And if someone comes back to you and says, what the hell is pH? How are you going to explain that to them what it is, how they would measure for it? And, and inevitably, Don, someone from uh, a, a state or federal regulator is in the class every time. Um, and and they go into this. Well, it's uh, hydrogen availability, it's negative it's negative log of the hydrogen ion concentration. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, good. Yeah, you just told a chef that <laughs> they don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. That's the regulatory answer. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So thanks to Dr. Beth. Well, but uh, but but we're not done with Dr. Beth. <laughs> We're not. So, so she sends us another message saying, uh, with the, the 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 subject header is abusing my email access, but I can't help it. Uh, Doctor Beth, you can email us anytime. Um, so she's she's she said she's uh, she was reading a New York Times article on weekend sausage. Oh wait, sorry. So I was reading a New York Times article on weeknight sausage and peppers. <laughs> I'm already I'm scratching my head. Yeah. Um, but she's an English professor, so I'm, I'm not going to question her word choice or her writing. And wondering if I could make this work with vegetarian sausages and the way too many uh, CSA peppers. Oh, yeah, CSA peppers in the fridge. I came across uh, – uh, but I, I came across these lines about cooking the sausages. Um, Quote, however, to get this meal on the table quickly, I like to simmer them gently for about five minutes and then let them steep in the pot off the heat. This ensures they will be fully cooked. I'm not sure that it will ensure that they're fully cooked, Ben. I don't know. I, I don't I, – Don uh, and Dr. Beth knows the answer to this, I think, before, before she asked. Um, Don, how do you know if it's been fully cooked? Uh, a thermometer, Ben? I think that's it. That's, the that's only how way. you know. Yeah. So mix in a thermometer every once in a while. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, <clears throat> I, this comes back to um, you know the work that we did looking at cookbooks that got Gwyneth Paltrow all excited, um, that it, there are lots of messages out there that people think work and that they haven't been validated, and there's so much variability. Like simmer gently, you know, if you kind of go and um, you know, look, at, look at this, it, they, it's just sitting there for a while. There's no temperature involved. We don't know how long. What does simmer mean? Does it matter if you're in the mountains or not? Um, right? Like all this, all this stuff. 
that the, that's variable that really all they need to say is, hey, um, it, you'll know it's done when it's cooked to 165 degrees Fahrenheit. Exactly. Hey, so so while we're talking about cooking stuff and temperatures, I want to share I want to share a uh, anecdote um, from my life from last night after I was so giddy having talked to Max and Alex and Merlin. Oh, and by the way, their episode did post uh, just as we were talking. It's it's entitled uh, "Fortunate Son." It's episode uh, forty five and. Uh, uh, it looks like at the end they do link to uh, food safety talk, and actually Max, uh, maybe maybe it did make it into the actual show, but um, Max said some very nice things. It makes me think he listens to the podcast, and I can't I can't believe a busy guy like him was going to law school and running a. Uh, game empire has time to listen, but if you really do listen, Max, uh, you're thank you. And he said some very nice things about the podcast. So, oh, cool. so anyway, thanks to them. Um, but back to um, um, my life. So my wife, my wife, my wife. Now, now I'm, I'm like I'm doing I'm doing bits from other shows that I don't even know the origin of the bits. Right? It's uh. just it's podcast all the way down, Ben. I think that's a bit too. That's, um, that's another bit. So um, my lovely wife made some um, st- uh, vegetarian stew, let's call it, and uh, she made a whopping big batch and uh, it was so big that it didn't fit in the big Tupperware. We had to put it in the big Tupperware and then a smaller Tupperware. And then we decided we had leftovers before that, and so we weren't going to have that. We had we had the leftovers from the night before, and you know as we – do because we're kind of lax about food safety in my house in certain ways. Um, we left that on the counter, and then um, at some point I put it in the fridge. But then at some other point I got it out of the fridge and I took the temperature because Ben, I don't know if you know about this, but foods have to be cooled at a certain rate. Uh, I, I I did know that. Yeah, and um, and I don't know. I didn't I, – so all I know is that at some – I don't know what time it – well, I could – I guess it was sort of finished around 5 o'clock cooking. I could look at my watch and see when maybe I texted her and then figure out when I arrived home and do some interpolation there. Um, and then at some point later in the evening, quite a bit later in the evening, I tested the temperature and it was 80 degrees. Now, I don't know – do you know what the, what the cooling times and temperatures are as recommended by USDA FSIS Appendix B? Uh, not not off the top of my hands. I'll well, have to I look at my I appendix can, B tattoo I can, I can, that I have on my shoulder. <laughs> I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you that the time that you spend between one twenty and one and between one twenty and forty degrees Fahrenheit is really important, and it should be less than one point five hours. Now, I don't know the pH of this stew that she made, but I can tell you that it was at that temperature for a pretty long period of time. Mm-hmm. So. My question to you, Ben, is if you were coming over to my house tonight and I told you that we, we were going to serve this to you, um, what would you say? Uh, I I would not. I think that you probably wouldn't serve it to me. <laughs> okay, Ben, let me rephrase the question. I'm, go- I'm going home tonight. Yeah. What are you going to do? Am I going to eat this? I don't what? think you are. Do you think you're going to eat it? I think I'm going to eat it. You are. I You're think I am. It? Yep, I think I am. Um, well, and and I, it, what I could do is I could reheat to 165, right? Because right. So right. let's say let's say there was and so and so this has uh, root root cry has sweet potato in it. It has, it has canned beans, which is are low risk, but it has sweet potato in it. So let's say okay. for the sake of discussion, there's some and I don't know the pH. Okay, there's some Clostridium perfringens in that. Yeah. Um, let's say it grew. Okay. Let's say well, it, so it grew. The question is, did it? 
have time to sporulate. Right. I could uh, I could reheat it to 165. And you're going to take care of your vegetative. Take so. care of the vegetative. That 165 will probably cause the spores to germinate. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat it, Ben, and I'm gonna report back because okay. I think I think the odds are that there were perfringens in there is pretty low. Now, what I could also do is I could also bring some to the lab and have my students test it, which would be interesting. Um, That's not a bad idea. It's not what, a bad idea. What, what about the what about Staph aureus? I'm not worried about staph. You're not uh, because, worried about staph. No, because because it was. Uh, I mean, I didn't stick my fingers in it, right? And okay. the cooking the cooking process will have destroyed uh, staphylococcus, right? Okay. Um, so I'm now now if I was giving advice to a food company, which actually I did recently on an issue just like this, different, different um, situation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that for sure. Like they recooked it, which would handle perfringens, but. But if staff grew, which it might have, um, cooking obviously. You're, what the point that you're making, and I'll, yes. I'll lay this out for <laughs> listeners, um, is Staphylococcus aureus makes a heat stable toxin, and so if staff had grown and, and grown to a point where it could have made toxin, that toxin would not be destroyed by reheating. But I'm not worried about staff with this. I'm more worried about perfringens. Well, there, there you go. I think you've got your you've you got your HACCP plan. Yep. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna eat this, and I'm gonna yes. report back um, uh, about whether uh, I get sick or not. Um, okay. So, but I think the risks I think the risk is low. But but I can tell you too. Actually, I had a another situation where somebody asked me for advice where they had made a vegetarian chili that they were going to serve at a concert, um, and uh, they had uh, really bad temperature control. And my advice was throw it out. So yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Well, no, but it's this is this is different. This is an interesting situation. I'm gonna um, go back to uh, a conversation that you and I had in person, off offline, as they say, when we were in uh, Minneapolis, uh, because there's a, a a thought from the committee to control foodborne disease. Is that the name of the committee? Foodborne illness. I just call the it. The, I just call it the UN Todd Committee. The UN Todd Committee. Uh, the UNTOG committee has, has tapped Christine Brune and I to help them with a survey of the IAFP membership about risk perceptions and food handling practices of food safety professionals. With with the, um, I'm referring to this uh, uh, as the you know, the catchy title is we all make our own risk decisions, um, and so you the way that you just reasoned it out. Isn't a do as I say, do as I don't, whatever, whatever the right cliche is. It is you're reasoning out because you know all the parameters, because you controlled it versus not knowing the parameters for what a, what a consumer is doing, right? Like where staph aureus may be a more of a concern if someone sneezed on it or if someone, someone's finger went into, into the, the product, they weren't following your standard operating procedures of not sticking your finger in. So, so I think that. You're making a different risk decision based on you know more about what you did as opposed to what you think someone else is doing. Well, and I and also and I, I also know the consequences if I get clostridium perfringens right. food poisoning. I know – I don't know what that will feel like, but it won't be fun, but it probably won't kill me either. And it's me taking that risk on myself, right? Right, right, right. And it's a um, – yeah. So, so anyway, the I, I just alluded to this, but the the idea is we survey a bunch of people in IFP membership about what they do, and and that gives us some insight as to how we should craft messages because if people don't have 
people with a lot of um, experience and understanding around the area of food safety don't do things that we think that they should do, we, the collective we around the messages, then maybe the messages are wrong or maybe maybe people are making um, more, like you just did, a more informed, nuanced decision because they with this survey, and I think it went in as a symposia um, submission, but uh, so I guess I'll be working on a survey at some point here in the next couple of months. Um, but anyway, it's yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is, I don't think you're saying do as I say, not as I do. I think it's different. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, also, I would say that we've she's made this kind of uh, recipe before, and we've and also never been sick. Never, never gotten sick. <laughs> never gotten sick. <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a bell, but uh, but here, let me uh, clink my clink my coffee cup. Nice, nice, done it all. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been making this stew for twenty years, Don. Never got sick once. Never got sick myself. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, some more, we get some more feedback. We do. Here. We do. Uh, let me see. Let me see. So we, we got, we got poop and ponder or we got donating expired food. Yeah. I want to go to donating expired food. Where go for that? it. So I'll, I'll, I'll read, I'll read the read. message. Um, so it says you can read my message, but not my name. Um, hi, Don and Ben. I'm a big fan of the pod. He does not write cast, but I will add cast. And, and I'm hoping that you can help me out with a food safety question. I work for a large retailer, and one of our stores was approached by a food bank with a request to donate any expired products. The store asked me for advice, and my immediate thought was that it's complicated. and It, it, it depends. Nice job. <laughs> nice job. Friend of the podcast. Um, I imagine – that if they are asking for expired food, then there could be some food security issues the food bank is dealing with. I don't quite understand that sentence, but okay. If people are going to be eating this food that is beyond the best before date, rather than tell them not to do this, I would like to tell them how to do it safely. Excellent, excellent point. I think what he's, what he's saying with food security mm. issues, it's not like biosecurity food defense issues it's food security as not not enough to eat yeah 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 so yeah. there could be some hunger issues yep. the banks so they're not trying to turn away stuff because um yeah because of that food insecurity yep um i know that best before on a label doesn't mean poisonous after however i also know that the risk will be different depending upon the product type my initial thought was that anything that is shelf stable fermented dairy ben mentioned this that yogurt might never expire or yep. frozen would be safe to eat after the best before date uh would you provide some advice or point me in the right direction so so <laughs> yeah so and my answer is you're right it's complicated and it depends um uh, uh, we might have, and we, I think we have talked about this on the past, but, but we'll talk about it here now as well. Um, the, so my first point is that shelf life dating, uh, for safety is, is a tough issue. Uh, and we, I've been part of a group called refed, um, uh, which is trying to come up with, um, uh, date, uh, labeling standardization tool, but it's been problematic to try to get there, try to get consensus. Um, I say, I would say that there one area where shelf life dating is clearly linked to safety would be for deli meats and listeria, right? Because we know yep. that deli meats can support the growth of listeria and that the shelf life on those products is, um, uh, you know, they, 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 the longer they sit at refrigeration, the higher the risk. Now that said, 
if how you are, do we do, how do, if, yeah. Well, if you're in a su- sensitive subgroup, if you if you are a uh, food bank and you are feeding pregnant women deli meats, stop doing that, right? Because you sh- you shouldn't be whether they're they're uh, they have hunger issues or not. That's not a good choice, right? So 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 first of all, don't even do that, right? I want to um, want to stop you there. Though. Okay, wanna, go ahead. So so Mike Mike's question. Ah, have to fix that. Um, the question was. Um, uh, I would like to tell, I, I don't want to tell them not to do this. I'd like to tell them how to do it safely. And oh, well, I, and I, so, I think so we could tell them how to do it safely. Well, right? I would say don't use expi- expired deli meats are off the table, right? Don't yes. use them. But if, but, but if you are going to have deli meats that are in date for your clientele and your clientele includes immunocompromised people, heat them. Right, 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 exactly. Right, exactly. but 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 so let me finish my answer and then and then I'll let you talk right. more. Um, that's okay. Um, uh, uh, I, my response is I think shelf stable fermented dairy or frozen is a good start. My only nuance there is that that foods that are past their date uh, might not be in compliance nutritionally. So in other words, the vitamin content might not be what it says on the label. But that's a secondary issue. And quite honestly, if you're worried about having enough to eat. You know, you're not really worried that you're not getting your full days of vitamin C. So, so, so bear in mind that they might be slightly nutritionally deficient, but but and the quality may be off. But but in terms of safety, uh, it's a it's a that's be a great category great categories to sort of lump in. Okay to to donate. Yes, bang on. Um, I don't I don't really have anything else to to add to this. I think that um, I. Uh, we did a study a couple of years ago, uh, one of my students, Ashley Chaffetz, who worked with food pantries in North Carolina. And one of the things that she encountered as she interviewed and did observation at these food pantries was there is a uh, perception that anything that's out of date is is unsafe or undesirable. Uh, and and I you know, put those into two different buckets because it's it doesn't mean that they're unsafe, but it may, may be that they're undesirable. But there is a perception out there, even if if they donate this stuff, that someone may not take it because it is out of uh, out of date. And I think we need to further the conversation and say, well, for a lot of these things, that's not the case at all from a safety standpoint. If we're worried about food insecurity and food and or food waste, I think we really need to start, um, you know, taking safety safety first but if there isn't a you know major food safety concern with the specific product then get it in the hands of people that need food and then let's talk about the ones um where you know there may be some some safety issues and how to manage it right and then we'll also uh mention my colleague uh, deb palmer uh also known as deb palmer keenan who works with these food insecure populations and gives them tries to give them advice that will keep them safe while realizing that they are going to shop for dented cans and they are going to buy uh food that's at the end of its shelf life because that's the only way they can afford to eat so uh yeah Right, right, right. Um, I, th- you're, you're alluding to like uh, food insecurity coping, and I think one of Deb's either former—I don't know if she was a former student or if she was a former staff member—Andrea um, Anader, who's now at RTI here in, in North Carolina. She and I shared a panel a few years ago talking about coping mechanisms, and and she did some fascinating work interviewing people about, you know, if you have no food 
how do you get food and, and just, you know, sort of open my eyes to dumpster diving and roadkill and gleaning legally and in- illegally um, and foraging and just all of these where, you know, food safety stuff comes up. But when you have no food, it's it's not a it's not a real concern. Right. You just need food. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, so uh, we, we got, yeah. we got one more, we got poop and ponder. Okay. Poop and ponder. So, um, this is from, uh, Lissy Wilcoxon who says, uh, please share all details freely, uh, but don't share my place of employment. So we won't mention where, where she, she works, um, which I guess no is, problem. I guess if you not, I mean, that's such a, you know, common name. Uh, I'm sure yeah. no one will figure it out. So. I, I apologize uh, um, for to miss uh, Smith. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's um, I feel. Oh, and this is this was something that came up. Uh, I think in the um, Q and A uh, portion of the uh, of the live show that we did, episode one thirty five. Um, she writes, I feel it is important that you are honest about your phone using experiences in the bathroom. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yes. You're welcome. Yes. Um, frankly, dropping my phone in such a place is enough to keep me from joining the club. Well, yeah, I wouldn't. If I dropped my phone in a public restroom, I would be a little bit more circumspect. Um, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I do, however. Tr- oh, and that's another thing, too. So while we're talking about phones, um, the good folks from um, Dubai Friday did ask me about phones and cross-contamination from phones. So uh, check that out uh, if, if you want to hear more, more about talking about uh, how I do or don't take care of my phone. Um, uh, I, okay, so anyway, back to the message. Um, I do, however, try to emphasize to my classes that the, import, the importance of keeping cell phones out of prep areas due to the high probability that it has been part of a poop and ponder event. And I think that is a good point, right? So if you are in food service prep, um, you probably should not have your phone out um, because it could be across. I think it's a probably low risk, but, but I, get, I get her point, right? So in other words, uh, don't have your phone out while you're preparing food. That's probably good advice. Um, um, and <laughs> so, um, so I emphasize uh, the importance of keeping cell phones out of prep areas due to the high probability that has been part of a poop and ponder event. Then I have to explain what poop and ponder means, <laughs> which always seems to be a memorable experience for my people. So I, I love that, and that's why I entitled uh, the the uh, the file uh, "Poop and Ponder" because that is it, poop and ponder is a fantastic uh, uh, little uh, uh, name there for that event. So anyway, thanks for coming to speak at our FDA seminar. It was great to see the magic happen in person, and thank you so much for for the message. We 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 I, I really uh, I I know I speak for both of us when I say we really enjoyed being there, and thanks to the hosts for for bringing us. We had a great time. Yeah, we absolutely, and yeah, thanks for the message, Lizzie, and um, I, I just to like a I think a plug uh, for us. I enjoyed that so much that I would do that again, and I think it. I I, I listened to the um, to the episode as I edited it. Um, and we haven't received any feedback on it yet. It just, it just kind of went up, but, um, I would do it again. I thought it worked. I thought that the, the audio was really good. I think that the, you know, our conversations after the session with, uh, many people in the audience that it, it seemed like we, um, we, we served the need of what they were looking for, which is something a little different than a normal speaker. And I would, I mean, I'd totally do it again. So if anybody, I don't know you, would you do it again? Yeah. Someone called so, us? so first of all, it was a, it was a 
blast to do. And I would have to say too, I think it probably it went over better in the room than it than it came over on the podcast. I I started listening to it because I just wanted to make sure that the what the, what the audio sounded like, and it sounded pretty good. I did have a little bit of experience with the audio not quite sounding that good in using Overcast the the Overcast app, and that was mm. because I had Smart. Um, smart speed turned on and what it kept oh. doing is it kept like uh, cutting on my audio i think because i don't have good microphone technique or I, my microphone technique is not as good as yours and so i sound a little bit choppy but then once i turned off smart speed it sounded fine so um if you're listening to this you probably already listened to 135 and you probably if you listen with smart speed on overcast you probably were were irritated by that so but that did seem to fix it but yeah it was it was a boatload of fun being in the room. Um, the audio podcast was okay. I mean, I, you know, all full credit to the people that did the audio. They did a great job with that. I, it just, it's just not, it, it, what, it, what the issue Ben, is not that it wasn't a good podcast, but it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't quite capture the fun, the real fun of right. doing it live, which is, which is, which is why you should invite us to come do a live podcast at your next thing. And we'll do that. We'll come. Yeah, we'll come if absolutely. you pay. If you pay us, you I mean, pay, yeah, you pay, you if you pay us our travel, we won't. We don't just, ask for a speaking fee. I mean, yeah, you just if you want to give us, a, if you if you give us a speaking fee, we won't turn it down. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take. Um, but I would, yeah, I would, I would absolutely do it again. Um, and just the, we, you and I have talked a little bit about this in the past. Just being able to meet people who we have connected with because of the podcast, who or at least we're they're connected to us because we don't, you know, always hear the listeners unless you email us. Um, and just to hang out for a couple hours afterwards and, and drink some beer and eat some chicken wings and talk about food safety stuff. That was super fun as well. It's, it's very, it's, it's, um, it's becoming more and more fun going to these meetings and just interacting with people who are like, Hey, I listen to the podcast and when you talked about X, this is what it made me think of. Or I had, you know, you guys have talked about this outbreak. I had this experience uh, around that outbreak. And, and I've, I ha- I, you know, I've had similar conversations with Barf Blog with people who are like, oh, you wrote about this. And, and this is my, you know, my, my piece to add on to that, um, you know, that, that writing. But it's a, it's a different group of people that, that listen to podcasts. So yeah, absolutely. If you, if you guys want us to come out, we'll, uh, we'll schedule something. And I, uh, I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. So, so what we got a, a bunch of things that we could talk about at this point. We're, we're an hour and a half in, did you have anywhere you want to go? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me now? No. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I think it's my internet here in the world of uh, uh, NC State. Okay. I, I, all my all the drives that show up in my shared drive uh, thing on my Finder they disappeared when your audio went out. Oh yeah. So I yeah I don't I don't uh, yeah it's, I because I I'm on I. I can't do wired in my office anymore, but I'm on Wi-Fi and it's pretty, it's pretty blazingly fast, good Wi-Fi. So yeah, yeah. Mine, is, mine usually is too, but so there's something going on. Uh, anyway, mm. uh, so go, so this is how your conversation started. <laughs> nothing. I heard, I heard nothing. <laughs> okay. So say, um, say what you said again. Uh, what, what would you like to talk about now, Dr. Chapman? I want to talk about lemons. Okay. 
Do you want to talk about lemons? I want well, to talk about Al Dawson and lemons. Oh, oh, okay. Yes, I could do that. Um, also, I want to talk about trendy beer names invented by Neural Network, which I just put in, which is uh, completely unrelated to anything except it's funny. Um, shopping bags, um, oh, an, I- an Ivy League prop prof doing bogus food science um and then uh, <laughs> cyclospora and campylobacter so that's all i but but let's by all means let's talk uh let's let's talk uh, junk science let's talk junk science okay so here three things on this i'm gonna let's pull up let's pull up this paper so uh we'll link to this in show notes um there is a paper that was published last week in the journal of food research uh, volume six, number four. I'm going to come back to that. Put a, just put a, drop a pin in journal of food research. Uh, paper is to lemon slices and ice during handling. Uh, there are about 75 people who are, uh, authors on this. Uh, but <laughs> that's uh, a conservative yes. number. Uh, but I, I think we I, – I know a little bit of history on this. So Paul Dawson, who um, has published uh, – he's at Clemson University and has published in the past on five-second rule and dipping chips into salsa. He has a class every year that they do some sort of um, pop science food safety research project. And, and that's why there are so many people on uh, as um, as authors on this, I think. Um, yes, and, and I, I will say, and I credit Paul every time I talk about the five-second rule because his paper in JFP was the first peer-reviewed publication on the five-second rule that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it came like, yes. So this is a paper uh, that I think he um, – I haven't talked to him about this. I actually don't think I've ever met him. Um but there was a paper about five or six years ago on lemons that came out of a, a uh, we'll have to see if I can find this for show notes, but it was like looking at lemons, like 12 samples of lemons at a bar to see if they could find any coliform on them. And they found in, uh, you know, of the 12 samples, they found four of them had coliform. And so that turned into a whole pop culture conversation about your your lemons have coliform, and of course, those are uh, fecal coliforms, probably. And fecal coliforms means there's feces, and feces uh, means that there's poop on your lemons. And so everyone's drinking uh, drinks that have poop in it. That, that like yep. that was the line. Um, so, so I think Paul took that concept and said, okay, what if we put uh, E. coli on lemons? what would that mean? And would it transfer to things? And does a wet lemon transfer from hands better than dry lemons and, and that kind of stuff. And so uh, essentially here's, here's what I I get out of this. Um, There will be a four point, let's say four, four and a half percent transfer rate of E. coli from hands to wet lemons. And if you have a dry lemon, then it's less than a percent, like 0.2%. Sounds right. Right? Sounds so right. wet wet stuff's going to transfer better than dry stuff. Yep. And okay. And then so if I have a let's let's even boost this up. And let's say for for easy calculation sake that it's a 10% transfer, right? So that would mean that if I had um pathogens on my hands, I would get a one log reduction as it transfers from my hand to the lemon. Right? That yep. might yep. checks that right? out. Checks out. 
And if it was dry, then I'm going to get about a two log reduction from my hands to the, to the lemon. Um, and, and so, Oh, it's actually even more. It's maybe more like three log reduction in this one, but whatever. So you get, so, but anyway, that's, that, that is, um, you know, I, I don't think that the science on this is, is terrible. Um, I think it's, I, I think they presented it well. I think what, what happens is that, um, the, the headlines that came out of this uh, were, hey, there's a bunch of poop on your lemons, which is not really what the study was about. The study was about could pathogen, could E. coli, not pathogens, could E. coli transfer from hands to lemons? And the answer is yes. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah, and it's uh, – yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I think I think the Journal of Food Research, where apparently they publish research on food, um, uh, in a journal, um, is also the place where he published his uh, birthday candles, uh, blowing right. on a birthday cake. Um, but you know, and, and the Journal of Food Research is published by the Canadian Center of Science and Education, so that certainly sounds legit. Um, if you if you read this if you read this article, um, it says for correspondence, uh, contact Paul Dawson in the Department of <laughs> Food Nutrition and Pack. Maybe it's a, is that a Southern thing? It doesn't sound Southern, but um, so there's an obvious typo within the first ten lines of the article. Um, this is, you know, I mean, this is fine. He cites he cites Chen et al. So thank you for citing my work um, on on and, and Mont, and Montville. Oh, oh yeah, Mont, Montville and uh, Mont, Schaffner. And so Schaffner. thanks for that. Um, the figures come from Microsoft Excel. They're kind of ugly. Um, it's it's I mean and you know great. It's like it's wonderful that all of these students that were in this class got their name on a paper, and that's that's cool. But uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. E. coli is capitalized in the title of the journal. It is. I don't, I don't think it should be. It's capitalized all the, all the way down, Don, in headings. As oh, well. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, it's – there's stuff to like about this, but it, I, I, I don't think I would ever publish in the Journal of Food Research. Do you, so can I uh, can I tell you why I think you wouldn't publish in the Journal of Food Research? Because it's a crappy journal. Yeah, and it's on Beale's list of predatory journals and publishers. Well, to to be fair, Beale's list doesn't exist anymore. It's on Beale's but it, old list, but it was on Beale's list, and I think there's somebody out there that has basically republished Beale's list. So yeah, this yeah. is a uh, you it's know probable potential it's a, possible uh, predatory journal. But, but yeah, and I, again, you know, they they have an ISN number. I'm, they might even have an impact factor. I, I mean, I don't know, Ben. I, they're not. I w- Here's the thing. I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life or what to do. I wouldn't publish in this journal. I would rather publish in a good journal. Yeah. But it's good the information's out there. I guess if we ever would want to go collect stuff from the literature, we would include this because it's. Not it's horrible. He, he's doing better than Aston University, who had a PowerPoint. Right. So that's good. The but Canadian I, Center of Science and Education, Don. I need to read this to you. <laughs> not spelled. Center is not spelled the way that Canadian would, would spell it. Can, yeah. yeah, Canadian. Canadian Center of Science and Education is a private for-profit organization Ooh. delivering support and services to educators and researchers in Canada and around the world. 
was established in 2006 in partnership with lots of different people like research institutions and community organizations. Um, they publish scholarly journals in a wide range of academic fields. <sighs> they are in uh, – they have an address uh, in a strip mall in Toronto. And and no, when I looked at the uh, journal uh, editorial board, I, I recognized not not one single person in the field that I um, have seen their stuff in food safety. Their 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 Google based impact factor is three point two eight, and their the H index, which I don't think a journal can have, but their H index is fifteen. Yeah, no, a journal can't have an H index, but but it's right here under journal metrics, Ben. Oh gosh, yeah, so. Journal of Food Research. So anyway, this is not like I don't know. I've got I got trouble with this one. And but it, it's a bigger like why I put this in here is it's a bigger question. So am like why why would I publish in here? <laughs> why would why would you publish in this journal? Interestingly, they they list all the people who have reviewed for the journal. Yeah. Alphabetically by first name. Uh-huh. Uh, yep, yep. That's interesting. They've got the, there's a publication fee. Oh, that's a surprise. Uh, that's not a surprise. <laughs> what's the what's the publication fee? Uh, it's you can pay it by wire transfer. Okay. Uh, it's it's uh, just you know you have some options: six hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, or what, or just one dollar. I would pick the one. I would pick one dollar. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, so I, um, a friend of the podcast. I'm not sure if he listens, uh, Matthew Moore, or as he's known as uh, Dr. Funky Jenkins, uh, has has got uh, multiple stories about publishing in predatory journals on lots of different things we talked about on the podcast. This is another one that goes into the list of things that I would like love to have a. Panel. This has never happened. This is be way more interesting. Than the panel I saw this morning, a panel where we had Paul Dawson get on the panel and talk about this project and why he chose this journal. <laughs> right? Sounds, sounds like an ambush. Uh, I, it does. It, I would never. Yeah, but but we had like a, you know, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, Paul's a good guy. I've met him. I mean, he's tr- he's trying to do like something good here but i but why not why not publish in food protection trends or something right is it yeah that's the question right i mean nothing wrong with food protection trends that's a good journal it's a little bit that's a lower bar i mean yeah yeah it's i don't know okay that's that's it I, i i didn't know what else i wanted to talk about lemons but just that was enough so um let's see let's talk about uh some campylobacter Puppies. Oh, my God. Puppies, Ben. They're so cute. They can't possibly make you sick. They are making lots of people sick, like 55 people in 12 states with 13 hospitalizations. And Campy is no joke, as I've had myself. (laughs) I did not enjoy my time with Campylobacter. Yeah. So so this is a multi-state outbreak of human Campylobacter linked to infections from pet store puppies. And... um, uh, let's see. Uh, so of the cases, 14 people are Petland employees from five states. 
Um, 35 people either recently purchased a puppy, puppy, puppy at Pupland, <laughs> a puppy at Petland, visited a Petland, or lived visited or or live in a home with a puppy sold through Petland before illness began. Um, one person had sexual contact with a person with a confirmed illness linked to Petland. Um, four people were exposed to puppies from various sources, and one person had unknown puppy exposure. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, yeah, so... That sounds really fun. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, here's the thing. If you're going to get a puppy, don't buy it from a pet store. Bottom line, the, their pet stores are, shouldn't be allowed. I mean, my, I'm going to get on my pet, Your pet, pet, yeah. pet, uh, pet pedantic, uh, platform here, um, and say, uh, don't buy your puppy from a pet store. Um, buy from, get your puppy from a shelter or buy it from a reputable person, but just get your puppy from a shelter because there's puppies that need to be adopted and they, they need homes. So anyway, that's my soapbox. Does this like, so how does this happen? <laughs> it's always my, my I th- thing, right? I so, think it happens because Petland has lax sanitation practices, but they how don't do have get, controls in place. Ha, yeah. But, but so do all these puppies come from the same place? Well, that's a good but, question from, right, like, from, from all from different what, pet lands. Right. So how do you get the same one breeder? Who has? Yeah, uh, right, right. Yeah, is that's a, what my my guess. Is this a one breeder situation? Is it a is it a dog food situation? Like, is this a campy? Uh, it seems like in a in a dry dog food, campy wouldn't be very hardy in that in, in that right. Like, right. So so these there, there's a common link of Petland, but where where in the Petland distribution puppy distribution chain is is the contamination coming from and yeah it's it's a breeder maybe or or it's food so whole genome sequencing showed uh samples were closely related so these these are all this isn't just like can't be at pet stores it's it's pet land they got a problem they got right. a camp problem right and if you look at the uh, at the epi curve it's basically one case uh, per time – one or two cases per time interval spread out essentially over a one-year period. Right, so, right. So this is slow and steady. This is not like a batch of puppies, right? <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. This is, this is puppies that uh, are, are being born over, over a one-year time period. So, and it's uh, not like it's one breed right, either, right? Like right. we're not the, – the, 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 does Petland have only just a one breed – they only sell, uh, you know, cocker spaniels. Well, do we, we do we don't know the breed though, do we? There's no, no mention. No, it doesn't say anything. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, a really a... nice picture of the <laughs> puppies, <laughs> just general puppies. Awesome. I think that's just so you know what a puppy looks like if you've never seen one before. <laughs> I'm like ninety percent sure the puppy on the left is a stuffed animal. The other three are definitely alive dogs, but the one on the left. I think someone at CDC just mixed in a picture of a really good stuffed animal. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, this is – and, again, I know CDC is probably going to tell us the best that they can tell us. But this is yeah. pretty – this is pretty like, – like, you're right. Like, like where – did these puppies all come from the same puppy mill or from the same breeder, right? Um, are they the same breed or are they different breeds? Um, yeah, what, what – does, does Petland have anything to say about this? Is it? Uh, now, you mentioned something too. Is it sanitation within the store? Like, well, no, because it's multiple stores, right? Well, I mean, well, what, but, but but sanitation in the store should help to remediate that, right? Right, right. Like what I'm what I'm saying is like the the pathogen source came through all these stores at one time a year ago, 
And then there's proliferation within that store, maybe. Mm, I, I think yeah, unlikely, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. but I, but I don't know. I'm just talking out loud here. Yeah, just, just, I'm just spitballing. Yeah. Just, uh, Let's workshop this a little bit, Don. Yeah, let's uh, uh, let's put that in the parking lot. Yeah, we'll put that. Let's let's get that. We'll talk to our stakeholders. <laughs> uh, all right, trendy beer names invented by Neural Network. Thank you for putting this in today. Uh, so uh, this is uh, I don't know where did you where did you get this from? The internet somewhere? Yeah. Letting so network be weird. Yeah. So I I I don't use uh, Tumblr as much as I used to. Uh, but at some point, and maybe this came through Twitter, I'm not sure where, but I started, I don't, like I said, I don't go on Tumblr very much anymore, but I started, uh, I, I email subscribed to a, uh, a Tumblr account. And uh, this, this Tumblr account is from a person uh, who has a Tumblr. Well, it's, 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 it's the, the name of the, when we'll link to this, the, the Tumblr account is Lewis and Quark. Um, and it says uh, where – and in the about section, it says where science meets art and literature more than occasional silliness. Um, and it's from um, somebody named Janelle Shane who is a research scientist uh, doing research in optics, uh, biophotonics, and beam steering, which sounds like laser stuff. Um, and she is – she really likes uh, neural networks. And so she has a, a bunch of these Tumblr posts. And um, so, yeah, so she her, – her thing, her science thing is training neural networks. And um, she's got a whole bunch of these really funny – lists of like when things go wrong with the neural network. And so, uh, she said, um, uh, earlier I trained, uh, a neural network to generate names of craft beers. Uh, thanks to Ryan Mandelbaum of Gizmodo who inspired this project and Andy Haraldson who extracted hundreds of thousands of beer names from beeradvocate.com. I trained it separately on beer names from different categories and soon it had figured out to produce distinctive types, including uh, some scout, some stouts, uh, skunk all, midnight shale, and Bulkigan's chocolate <laughs> coconut pamper. Some oh, I, so some good. IPAs, Yamper, Dang River, and Borb! Exclamation uh, mark. So um, uh, a bunch of semi plausible but non-existent beers resulted. Anyway, this is. Um, th- this is such a fantastic Tumblr. Uh, the posts, it's not a heavy follow. It's probably one post a week or every couple of weeks. And they are literally laugh out loud. Uh, some of the names of these, of these things. So, um, she talks about, and it's cool. You learn about neural networks and how hard it is to train stuff. Um, uh, anyway, it's, uh, there's, there's some really good, uh, there's some really good names there. Is there, is there anything, anything in this post that stands out to you as a great, uh, beer name? Oh, I really loved, um, so further down, she talks about how it's getting better. Um, next highest creativity level, the good names have gotten better and the bad names have gotten a lot worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like a britched rye saison, bumble saison, a shit farmhouse ale. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's just a uh, hunking of mist is my, is a, and then, then you get into these like things that aren't even the next one, the highest credit, like flasha, Ixpicky, the slow ale from the toe. These would all be really good pub names too, I think. Yes. Well, and I think, and th- there are like, there's, uh, she has uh, a post on Harry Potter, 
uh, spells, uh, Dungeons and Dragons spells. I mean, it's, I think she did do, yeah, yeah. Don't use a neural network to name your next pub. Um, there right. are some, there are some great, uh, so we'll link to this as well. Uh, the T-Posh Bysai, the Innery, the Thod Inn Inn, the Darn Funk Inn. <laughs> Alan, A-L-A-N, Alan, the name, uh, pub name. Uh, oh, sure. The, the Ars, the Ars Inn. Uh, that, that the, one actually, wait, I've been, I've been to that one. <laughs> Bull House. Horsey oh. Man, Crown Real Top, Bill in, they prick a hominid arms. Sounds like a Monty Python sketch. Anyway, uh so great uh great stuff. Uh so check out lewisandclark.tumblr.com. Um lots and lots of really fun neural network uh hilarity. So Oh, that's cool. Well, well, Don, I think that uh that might be a show. Unless there's uh, some burning you got something Hunka 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 burning uh, saison for me. <laughs> well, I do I do have there is something well, in here around uh, uh, beer names invented by neural network, but we've already done that one. We've already done that one. <laughs> I uh, unless you want to talk about well, we're 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 out of time, but but we, anyway, uh, if you're a, a uh, anyway uh, if you're a marketing person, don't do food science. Um, Oh God! Yeah, we won't. We won't link to this. This is very depressing. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so uh, I think that's a show. I think that's a show. All right, uh, uh, food safety talk number one thirty six. I think uh, that one's in. It's in the can. Uh, so check us out on iTunes. Uh, send us feedback, and um, yeah, if you want us to come do one of these things live, uh, we're open to that. So yep. uh, shoot us a message. Let's let's make it happen. Yep, absolutely. All right, Don, uh, you have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I don't think people would pay for our after dark. No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think pe- <laughs> people won't even pay for us in person. Just- <laughs> I don't. I, I they they I, they paid me. They uh, we you got you got beers and wings True. and I oh uh, I went to the hospitality suite the night before. Oh boy, what a fun! Time. Oh well, those are great people. Shout out to Larry. Oh, huge shout out to Larry. It's good to meet Larry in person. Yeah, Larry, Larry Stringer, great, great guy, good friend of the podcast, very cool. Got to hang out with him for uh, most of the afternoon. It was great. So, yeah, we'll do that again, Larry.
Um, all right. So you got this one. I don't know. Do we, you know, this is the after dark. I don't know if we need to cut Mike's name out since I mentioned it. I don't I didn't say his last name. I didn't say his last name. I think, and I think Mike is a common enough name. I won't worry about it. Yeah. And I'm totally cool with you leaving the retail stores in. Don't worry about okay. editing where we're going. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, so that's fine. I've already forgotten, but yeah. Yeah, no big deal. Um, so, yeah, don't do not do anything special in the edits. Okay. And I, I, you know what? I think I won't even fix uh, <clears throat> the drops because that's like – because otherwise – I'll, I might fix it if I if I come across it, but I, honestly, I don't. I, I know I will. I will listen to the whole thing for show titles, but but anyway, whatever. It's yeah. This is what you get, folks. This is what you get for free. Hey, it's in the show. It's in the show. <laughs> exactly. It's in the show. It's all in the show. Uh, two weeks from today, what do oh, you got? Yeah, let's look at that. I am. Oh, I've got. You know what I'm doing that afternoon? Oh, wait a second. It starts at. If we did it early, I have a defense at 11.45. Okay. Guess who? Someone you know. Someone you know well. Hannah Bollinger. Oh, she's defending. Yeah, on uh, on on the Thursday, October nineteenth, at eleven forty five a.m. She's already like she's like working and living in New she's Jersey. Working. I know, I know. And she's uh, she is coming back. She's ABD. She's coming back to defend. That's good because you don't want to be ABD. No, you can't. You can't be ABD for very long. No, it's there's less shelf life on that. There is. So I could. So I would rather us do if we could, um, maybe the morning of the eighteenth. Would that work for you? Or we could do an early one on the 19th, but be done. I'll have to get to her defense. So we'd have to go from like 9 until 11. Yeah, so I – give me a second here. Okay, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, so I've, I'm dealing with somebody who doesn't know how to use Doodle or schedule things. So. Awesome. I got some some collateral damage on my calendar here, but um, so 18th is not great um, okay. because in the in the, you'll like this in the morning I'm talking at a science cafe on campus oh, awesome. uh, where the title is Would you eat that the five second rule and other adventures in microbial cross contamination where where it's going to be like I'm going to talk for 15 minutes without slides and then we're going to have a discussion about uh, cross contamination in the five second rule. So oh, good, good thing I have a lot of practice uh, extemporaneously uh, speaking about stuff. Doing this exact same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the 18th is not good, uh, but the – and actually we can talk about what how that went on the 18th. You're perfect. Um, uh, yeah. On the 19th. So I've got two I've got two things on my calendar, but they're both not real. Um, so I could uh, uh, I, I could do the 19th. No problem. And like at 9 a.m.? Sure. That would be no, – okay. That would be great. Okay. Let's do that um, because – yeah. And that gives you plenty of time to do whatever else you got to do? Yeah, 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 that's good. That gives me 45 minutes. Awesome. To get, I just have to get across campus. That, like, that is assuming when we say start at 9, that we'll start at 9.10, and that we'll go for almost two hours. So what you're I saying is I should write 9.10 in my... Uh... No, you should just write... <laughs> 9, okay. Yeah, write 9. Because you know, right. someday I may surprise you. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Cool. Um, okay. So, okay. 
That's all I got. All right. Me too. This was uh, this was fun. We should do this again yeah. sometime. Yeah, we should. You know what? We should do this like uh, we should make it a podcast. I think that'd be good. People, people <laughs> might, people might listen. Also, I don't know if you have to listen to this whole podcast for show titles because I think "poop and ponder" has to be it. Like, I know it's not our term, but it's awesome. Ah, there's a lot. There were a lot of other good ones, though. There, so. are, there were some good ones. I'll, right. But I, but I'll, I'll, I will listen and I will let you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will. I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go pick up a kid. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go take some of my major awards uh, down to the main office so they can be put on display in the lobby. <laughs> okay, we'll take we'll take all of your major awards. We'll take some. Of your Just, I'll take the major one, the mostly major ones. The major, most, the major of majorest of the awards. Exactly, exactly. I have my uh, Dubai. I'm looking at it right now. My Dubai International Food Safety Conference 2010 award and 11 award i don't know if they're actual awards they're the trophies that they gave me give you when you speak there everybody gets a trophy everybody gets a trophy you want me to you want me to fedex one of those to you real quick no no because you're not in our department ben get your own get your own trophy case all right fine hey so uh, speaking of which you you are going to dubai right yeah i'm going to dubai i am going to australia first i'm going i'm doing i'm going around the world around the world i'm going yeah, I'm going to go see Doug for a few days, and then I'm That's going right. to you mentioned uh, that. yeah to to Dubai. Uh, but I'm there; I'll be there for sure. Cool, awesome. I will look forward to it, and I look forward cool. to talking with you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye.